Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Stephen Simcox joins the show today. We preview the TCU Horn Frogs for the year 2023. Can they repeat the success from last year? What does it look like? And can they get the Big 12 title that they were searching for last year? Stephen and I break things down here on today's show. Make sure you all follow us on Twitter at NWPod365. Make sure you guys subscribe to the channel as well. Tap the bell for notifications. You guys also can find me on Twitter at Josh Neighbors underscore. All right, let's do it. TCU preview time. Frogs by 90. Uh, we'll see if that'll be the refrain once again this year. This is our second preview we are doing for 2023 Big 12 football teams this year. It is the first Big 12 team to win a college ball playoff game. It's TCU. They are not the reigning Big 12 champions, though, although it kind of feels like in some ways they are uh, kind of the big winner of last season. TCU Horn Frogs, that's who we're attacking today. Here to do so, it is my friend and yours from Locked On Horn Frogs. It is Stephen Simcox making his debut appearance here on the Neighborhood Watch. Stephen, it's very, very nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. And I, I noticed the Bucky shirt. Have you had that attire, or is this? Yes, part I've of- had this. I've had this Bucky okay. shirt for for that even back when I was at Locked On. I had the Bucky shirt. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I guess I hadn't noticed it before. But they have Buckies in Arkansas. I assume they do. I. I actually don't know if there is one. I, I okay. will say this. I'm driving to, so I'm driving to Dallas for big 12 media days. Uh, yes. I'm assuming you will be there as well, I'll right? I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. So uh, I will, I think, I hope there is one on the way somewhere between. Yeah, you should run into one. If not, I'll just pop you over to Fort Worth when you get there and we can, that's true. We can go to one for sure, but um, yeah, there's, they're around. Yeah. They're all over the, they're all over the place in Texas. So TCU had an incredibly interesting offseason. Um, Garrett Riley out, Kendall Bryles in. The quarterback situation has changed. The guy who started game one last year is going to start game one this year. Although he did not he played, did not play outside of game one last year. And obviously a lot has changed off last year's team. Some is the same, mm-hmm. but a lot has changed. So what is the number one thing, Stephen, that you think TCU needs to do, Sonny Dykes needs to do, not to recapture what happened in 2022, but to get TCU back to a Big 12 championship game? Because the one thing we've seen in this conference, cycling, right? Mm-hmm. Three Last three Big 12 championship games, there have been no teams that have repeated being back in the game. What does TCU need to do to break that trend? Number one. I think my biggest question for this group is in the trenches, which is never great when you're talking about championship aspirations. But uh, one sort of maybe under the radar storyline from last year's team was none of those starting offensive linemen must start. They had five guys that started every game uh, and they lost their all their interior guys. So Steve Avila moved on. He got drafted. Um, and then Alan Ali and Wes Harris were two experienced veterans that they had as starters as well. And 
So they went and got a transfer from Maryland named Colin Deary, who I believe is going to be the starter at center. Um, they got a transfer from Jackson State and uh, Willis Patrick, who should be one of those guard spots. Um, and then John Lands, who has played some, will be the other guard spot. But that's some significant shuffling from last season. Uh, their defensive line as well. There's some questions. They're losing Dylan Horton, who was their leading sack guy. And they weren't – I mean, you know, Josh, they weren't like a, a f- amazing team at getting pressure last year. Uh, but they did pretty well uh, in some situations and in spots. And I think, you know, more importantly, are they going to be able to not get gashed in the run game up front and keep those linebackers clean? Uh, but, I mean, yeah, Chandler Morris is back, right? And so – it feels like he's been there for a million years, even though he's only been on campus for three and he hasn't played a lot in the three seasons that he's, he's been on campus, but he is somewhat of a known quantity. Yes, they are changing up uh, coordinators with Kendall Bryles. And my read on, on that hire at first was, well, I don't think a lot's going to change because Sonny is an offensive minded guy. Right. Um, but given the way that, just the types of players they've gone after in the recruiting front. And um, I don't know, some of the things Sonny's talked about this season about being more of an air raid team again and kind of changing philosophies a little bit. I think this is, this could be a, a different looking offense than we saw last season, but yeah, I mean, I think from a consistency standpoint, it really starts um, with those guys up front. And I think they did a nice job of kind of backfilling those skill positions but you're losing a ton of production. I mean, Quentin Johnston uh, was fantastic last year. So it was Kendra Miller. Um, Max Duggan, for his warts at times, was a Heisman finalist and, you know, got the job done. So it, it's going you to be – You guys like Tay Barber, right? I mean, it's – Yeah, I mean, Tay Barber. They, 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 were, yeah. they were an old team. They benefited from uh, the COVID eligibility maybe more than anybody in the country. They had a bunch of guys that were 22, 23 years old and had played a lot of college football. And so this is, this is a new look. But I think – the staff did a really good job of maximizing what they had on campus last year, and uh, I'm hopeful they can do that again this year, but we'll have to see once uh, once the bullets get flying and, and things get real again. Yeah, the, you know, the offense is I think where we're, we're going to start, right, because that's Sonny's bit. And mm-hmm. it is funny, you know, now, now I live in Arkansas, uh, it would be ironic to see a, a Chandler Morris-led offense, uh, you know, the son of Chad Morris with the Kendall Bryles, Kendall Bryles being the coach. That's true. A lot of success. <laughs> Um, but to Chandler, you know, they bring in Nolan, right? The kid from that they bring him in from from Morgan State. Morgan State, it was, yeah. It's interesting move to bring him in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is what is the confidence level? Because I mean, Max was so good last year, and you and I talked about this ad nauseum. Like the Max that we saw in games, obviously, was not the Max that was in practices. If that were the case, he would have won the job, and that was right. that was not the case. And so what are what is the coaching staff saying about Chandler Morris and where he is? And is, is it the guy that they saw last year, you know, improving, getting better? Kind of where, where is he with that? Because he's obviously he's recovering from a pretty traumatic injury or well, not traumatic injury, but recovering from an injury as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's coming off uh, not really playing in a full calendar year now. I think they're confident about him. You know, in the spring game, they're moving him around the pocket a lot, a lot of rollout action, you know, kind of. Um, choice routes, can he take off at times? Uh, he's he's obviously very different than KJ Jefferson, you know, from a, from right. a stature standpoint. He's not a big uh, barreler of a guy. He's pretty slight in frame. 
he's known as an accurate passer. I think they're going to use the middle of the field a lot more this year, you know, mm. with uh, with some of the guys they have, the weapons they have in the slot with JoJo Earl and John Paul Richardson and Jared Wiley, one of their tight ends that I didn't think got enough run in the in the receiving game this past season. Um, also, just to be frank, you know, I think these off these outside receivers could be good, but you're banking on a lot more potential in your production with Saban right. Williams and in Dalen Wright, the Minnesota transfer. Um, so I feel like he has a chance to be really efficient and good. Now, you know, the question is a lot of the intangibles that Max brought to the table and just making plays um, out of nothing. I'm not sure Chandler can do that. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't really seen it. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, hope that he can command this offense really well. Kendall Browse is a good offensive mind. In theory, it should be a quarterback-friendly offense. But we still have to see it play out on the field. Um, and the other thing with Chandler is there is a real injury concern. I mean, he's played he's played three or four games in his career, and he got banged up in that Colorado game last year. Now it's kind of a freak accident. I mean, he was ch- trying to change direction. He twisted his knee. Um, he mm-hmm. got hurt in the Oklahoma State game a few years ago that he started. Um, I don't think the effort in that game was fantastic, and his offensive line didn't do him a lot of favors. But he doesn't look to be a guy that can just withstand – um, the punishment that Max did. I mean, Max was kind of built like a linebacker and was right. never afraid to put his body in danger. And so um, they're going to have to find a way to keep him clean in that pocket, which will be a uh, big concern. But, you know, the ceiling for Chandler is I think he can be a really good signal carder, signal caller, excuse me, and someone who hopefully elevates your offense to a certain extent. I just don't know if, you know, he's a, a game-changing quarterback like we saw Max be at times, even – if it wasn't, you know, the uh, the smoothest or the prettiest way that he would get the job done. Yeah, and then also too, you know, the one thing is we kind of mentioned how the the portal did them, you know, it did them some good. Um, I don't think you saw. I mean, at least let me see. They didn't really add a ton like out of the portal for for I felt like for offensive kind of weaponry, right? I mean, then they made some a couple adjustments, but like you know, these these are some of these guys that we've actually have, have seen before. I think the big one. Um, you know, Savion Williams obviously returning is kind of like the, mm-hmm. that's the big one, and he's going to need to take a big step up. I mean, I think inconsistent probably is the word that, that I would use. Now, they didn't need him last year because they had so many options, and Savion had some big catches, mm-hmm. but he's kind of the big dog now. Yeah, I do wonder about him. I mean, if if he's facing the number one corner on the opposing defense every week, what does that look like? Can he get separation? One intriguing thing about him is is Quentin sort of always got the reputation because he was so big of being like the 50-50 ball guy and he could just go up and, and get it, um, which he would do that at times. But honestly, like, I mean, we talked about this, Josh. The thing that separated Q was the fact that he could kind of make things happen after the catch. And I, right. I feel like when he was healthy, that was really how they liked to use him. Um, and Savion is more of your traditional big physical wide receiver, not super fast. But, I mean, if you put the ball up in the air, he knows how to use – that huge frame to go get it and and jump over the top and go get some of those, um, you know, 50, 50 balls. And so I think that's there, it, but for him, it's, can you find a way uh, on third and five to get open? Right. Like, can you find a way to have that separation? Um, his hands are fine. I wouldn't say they're amazing, but he didn't really have a drop problem last year. Uh, and yeah, he needs to take a big step up. And then they went and got Dalen Wright, the Minnesota transfer who, um, has shown some flashes, but hasn't been right. Super. And but it's, it's guys like JoJo Earl too. I mean, like you know, yeah. flashes. Like they, like these yeah. aren't 
they didn't go and they're not proven commodities no right i mean i i guess i think you know john paul richardson like i think we're all pretty familiar with his work Mm -hmm. at, at oklahoma state this is not some you know uh now like i think these guys in in concert could work but they're they're taking a few swings on the skill position it feels like it's not a this is not a proven group necessarily Although flashes, yeah. Jared, well, Jared gonna, Wiley's kind of the guy. Jared Wiley's kind of kind of the guy out of that group. Yeah, they don't have one one big dog. You're right. And even at their running back position, you know, they went and got Trey Sanders from Alabama, um, right? Who was highly rated, highly rated recruit, but had a car accident a few years back and has never really gotten back to 100 percent health. So um, it's it's a lot of who's and what's and ifs. It's not you know a ton of proven production aside from. Uh, John Paul Richardson, but again, like he was a sort of under the radar slot receiver for Oklahoma State. I know he's made a lot of noise at TCU, but um, can you consistently be the guy that goes and, and gets open when you have to? And that's going to be one of the questions that will have to be answered once uh, once the game start. So I actually think the best part of this team should be its defense. I think is that is that I mean, the, the, yeah. they get so much this back end back. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's rare to and and you get, I mean. Hodge, just, you know, hammer, absolute hammer to have. Hodges, excellent tackler. You get Josh Newton back. You get Bud Clark back. I mean, you know, Bradford and Perry. I mean, this is a back end. And, you know, look, I think that's where this defense won. They had some games where we're three-man front. They were able to do some things. But like like you said, it was it was so often up to those other guys to, to make sure they were the ones supporting the three-man front. And I think they did a, a lot of those guys did a great job last year in support, tackling in space. Coverage was good, you know. And I thought Joe Gillespie did it. I mean, he was, I mean, good lord, he was awesome last year. They 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 were pushing all the right buttons, you know. I think about games like the Texas game, you know, where they they were great. I mean, the Baylor game wasn't awesome, but they got the stops they needed to, right, to end up doing it. And you know, it's a defense that was not perfect, but and I know Hodge is, is a. You know, you can argue about whether he's a dirty player or not, but like he's, he's a, just he's a old school He's a big stick. Man. And having a guy like that, I, I mean, you can't tell me there's no benefit to having a guy who's a big stick like that. And so I, I think having these guys back that we're all pretty familiar with, like this, this is the unit that has more familiarity. This could be the strength of the team. Now it's harder when you play an air raid style because the mm-hmm. clock stops and then completions more and the defense is on the field more. Yes. But I think this is the this is the unit I trust the most, even though it's Sonny Dykes team. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, Joe Gillespie did a nice job last year. It seemed like early in the season, they really made it happen by just kind of making adjustments during the game. Like they would have these horrible first halves, but then they would be able to come terrible. out. Terrible. They had some terrible first, like <laughs> Oklahoma State game, complete disaster. Yes. Uh yeah. yeah. It was it was bad. Kansas State, you know, kind of went yes. crazy on them in that first terrible. half. Terrible. Well. So they would make adjustments, but then by the end of the year. You know, aside from the Georgia game, they held up really well. And, yeah, you're right. It, it's about this back end. So, Trey Hodges-Tomlinson leaves, the Thorpe Award winner, but you plug in Avery Helm um, at corner, who has started at Florida the last few years, and then Josh Newton on the other side, who started every game for them last season. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's some unproven production on this team, but it's mainly like guys that you're not necessarily asking a lot out of. Like, it'd be nice if Marcel Brooks did something in the linebacker position, but it's not really – um, something you have to bank on and Hodges and Hodge in the middle are going to be really good. Shadrach Banks played a lot last season. He's an athletic guy at that outside linebacker position. Pretty much all your safeties are back. And in a three, three, five, where those guys have a lot of responsibilities, you would think they're going to be playing faster this year and just have mm-hmm. a better understanding of what they need to do. 
Um, Dominic Williams in the middle was a really good nose guard for them as a freshman. He's back He's awesome. as well. Uh, and they got some other defensive linemen that got some significant time and time Mitchell and Caleb Fox. So, yes, I think especially at the start of the season um, when they're playing some uh, some of the, the softer part of the schedule, like this defense needs to carry them. They need to be a, a pretty dominant force as the offense sort of gets up to speed and figures things out. And uh, that is if, if TCU makes a run this year, it's because this defense has played really well from the jump and, um, it is weird to say that for a Sunny Dykes team, but they were, I mean, they were physical last year and they, they made the plays they have to. And that was with, that was with a group that was really bad a couple of years ago um, in the final year of the Gary Patterson era. So they had a nice little turnaround and hopefully that jumps up again this year. Well, it, it, and it was so much of it last year was situational, how good the defense is. I mean, I'm going through mm-hmm. it right now and folks, I'm not looking at my phone or anything. I'm looking at trusty Dusty, Athlon Sports right there. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm just – Going back to these games in my mind, right? The Kansas game, you know, that was that was kind of a shootout all the way, basically yeah. all the way through there. Um, the Texas Tech game, right? Like that defense held on. I mean, as long as they yeah, kept them in the game, game. yeah, right. And the offense was, it was terrible. I mean, the offense was oh, was they couldn't get anything going. The Texas game, wh- the game plan, and the way mm-hmm. they shut down Bijan Robinson, we hadn't really seen anything like that. I, I could at least remember the uh, in the Baylor game. They're getting stops in the end. The the both Kansas State games second half were very good, right? They mm-hmm. did everything they had to do, and that defense is not why you know. In the end, in my opinion, they lost the game. It was, they lost it at the goal line, just a very right. cl- a close game there. And then the Michigan game, I know it was fifty one forty five, but you know they they did the thing about Michigan. What they did to Ohio State was they ran them over, right? And it made it feel like every every Ohio State possession was so important because the way the game just slows down when you have a team and they had, they had some big plays in that game as well, but physically TCU was up to the challenge on defense. They might've gotten scored on a lot, but yeah. physically it was all, it was all the passing game. Really? I mean, they, right. Yeah. They, it was, they it was sold right. out in the run. Right. They, and they, it was, yeah, you could see it. They, they, they really did. And it was, it was big pass plays, uh, you know, that, that were, that were the difference, but like physically they were up to the test. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what's interesting about it. That is though, you know, you feel like you might be able to call upon a little bit of that this year just because you have a group of guys that did a lot of that last year. If you're kind of getting to the non-X's and O's side of it, but also the X and O's, they had some great game plans last year. They had some really yeah. good game plans in some of their bigger games, and they made some great adjustments in some of those games too. They did, yeah. The second half adjustments were huge, um, and that kind of held, helped them hold on through the first half of the season. And then, you know, honestly, like even – the West Virginia game, like they fell behind early there, but then they sort of figured it out. Uh, but later in the year, I mean, they're really solid. You, you looked at, yeah. uh, you talked about, you talked about the Texas game, Baylor, Texas Tech. I mean, that Texas Tech, the final score, it finally got away from Tech because they kept going for it on fourth down, and TC was able right. to get the stops. So um, they were able to flip the game at times, and yeah, it was a group that got a lot better as as the year went on. So in theory, you would think that would continue in the off season. Um, but I, I feel like it's a, a team that's going to play fast sideline to sideline, which you have to do that in this league, even with the Big 12 becoming more physical across the board. So let's get to the actual, the meat and potatoes here. Let's get to this schedule because uh, this schedule is, uh, there's a good chance they could they could go on an early season run. I do not like the back half of it for them. It is an incredibly challenging, this is not a well-balanced schedule. And that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right, that's, that's how all this goes. I'm sharing the screen real fast so we can get this up. All right. So 
we start with, I mean, one of the biggest games of the first week of the season. We've got Colorado there, right? And then you go ahead and you go Nichols at Houston, SMU, West Virginia, at Iowa State, BYU. I'm not saying on October 14th they're going to be undefeated, but it's not insane to think right. that this team would be, or it could be a one-loss team at this point. I mean, business picks up in a hurry in that back part at K-State, at Texas Tech. So they're going to do the, yeah, they're going to do the, you know, the week off too, but you're going to be going into two very hostile environments, one against a team to replay at the big 12 championship game, obviously of last year. Then you get to add Texas tech on a Thursday night. Uh, I think that team is going to be a bit better equipped to handle uh, those big game scenarios. We saw how poor they were against Baylor last year. I think they're better equipped this year, Texas Baylor than at OU. That is a murderer's row. I mean, you've got, all uh, all the other teams that were in the top half of the Big 12 last year, they all come in the back part of the schedule. Plus, you chuck a Baylor in there as well, uh, in Oklahoma in there as well, right? I mean, it's it's not it's not fun. No, it's not. Uh, that is that is a murderer's row. You know that K State Tech back to back is really tough. I'm not totally sold on Tech and Tyler Shook, but it's on the road. It's a Thursday night game. It's going to be a crazy environment. And, you know, who knows what your health situation looks like at that point. But I, I agree with you. I think there's a good chance to be 6-1, and 7-0 and going into that stretch of the schedule. And so the hope is, can you get to that Texas-Baylor-OU stretch and you're still in the conference title race and at least give yourself a chance to win those games? You know, getting Texas and Baylor at home is a big deal. And you go on the road to Norman – to close it out, but there's no way to sugarcoat it, Josh. I mean, it's, it's five really tough games in a row. You're talking about going uh, to some tough environments as well with big stakes. And we don't, I mean, last year's team handled those situations really well. Um, they were able to, to win a lot of those games, compete in most of them, but this is a new group. Don't know how they're going to handle that. I do like the, the idea though, of the first six or seven weeks of the season can you figure out who you are, what your identity is, get better and feel good and feel good and feel, you know, relatively fresh and ready to rock for those last five games. Um, but it's, I mean, there's no way around it. It's a really tough way to close the season and you're going to be playing teams that not are only good, but more than likely have, you know, conference title aspirations of their own. And these are going to be big, big games that mean a lot in the standings. And, and- you know, the, the, so I just checked the over under uh, and, and a bunch of places, Vegas Insider. Uh, they've got FanDuel, BetMGM, PointsBet, DraftKings, all those places. Across the board, you're seeing it at seven and a half. It's it, the, the number you have to lay and you know, how much you, the juice is. It's different across the board. But what I will say is, I forgot where I picked. I did the poll last week. And I, no, I here's what I said, Steve. I did the poll last week, and I'm sure you saw it too and, and, and filled yours out. Like, I, I'm going to feel totally different about all these teams about where I slot them and whatnot. After I talked to 14 different people about all 14 schools. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's a weird exercise doing this in June. I yeah. feel like if you wanted my honest one, I, I need like August, you know, two weeks before the season, seven and a half wins. I kind of love the over. I, oh, I, like, yeah. I, and, I think it's, it's easy just, money. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that first part of the schedule sucks. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. not bad. Look, going to Houston. Fine. Like that could be a tough game, but I mean, I, I like Donovan Smith a lot. Like, are we sure that team's going to be like firing all cylinders and good to go? I mean, that's, that was not right. a good outfit last year. And I've got concerns for Dana Holgerson's group. The SMU games at home, it can be weird, but uh, you know, I 
kind of like Sonny Dyke's chance. He could, <laughs> he has a knack for winning these games, regardless of what he side does, he is yeah. on. Uh, it's kind of his game. West Virginia, I mean, you know, the, the quote that's been going around, I, I, the Athlon quote that everybody's been seeing, opposing coach, they, they might look like a MAC team. I don't think that's too far off from the truth <laughs> about what that team's going to look like. And look, Iowa State, do they own one? Sure, but I've got no idea what that roster would look like. Jack Trice, a hard place to win. So it sure. Is. BYU at home, though, you like your chances to be BYU, too, at, at that point. I mean, I feel pretty good about what's the, the first one, two, three, four, five, six. I think they're going to be six and one. I think they'll yeah. be six and one. If they make it there at six and one, they're going to hit that over. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a pretty good feeling that they hit the over on that. So over seven and a half feels pretty good. Yeah, I like the over, too. I mean, you broke it down well. But at the beginning of that schedule, you should have, you know, between five and six wins, and then can you win two or three more down the stretch? I feel like that's more than likely. And so I was surprised. I mean, it makes sense to a certain extent. They lost a lot of people, but seven and a half, the over feels like the move there. And it it feels like not one that you're going to have to sweat too much given um, how many wins they can stack up in the first part, the first half of the season. Now, this being said, I felt great about their under last year. So, <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. Uh, all right. So final question, where do you think, what do you think they actually end up record wise? I know it's a hard thing to do, but what do you think? And do they end up back in the big 12 championship game? Yeah, I think they end up nine and three, uh, but I don't have them dropping a non-con game. And so I don't feel like six and three gets you in the big 12 title game. Uh, I'm so just you know, missing it. Just missing it. I, I imagine they're probably playing that game at Oklahoma with some chance, some mathematical chance to get in. But I think ultimately they miss out and finish nine and three and probably make a good bowl game. And that would be a good year too for Sonny Dykes. I, I know people would be disappointed not going back to Arlington, but man, I mean, I, I did this with you last year, Josh, and we talked about Texas and I talked about how I didn't believe in them. Um, and I, I mean, it didn't work out, but Texas was right there. I mean, they, they lost a couple right. of one score games and they feels like they're better on paper um k-state's good i think oklahoma's gonna be better and the other strange thing is it's so weird now with 14 teams because everybody's schedule is just so different like you you right. look at all these individual cases and i'm not picking this team to go far but like i don't i don't think this is a really good oklahoma state team but i also feel like they could win eight or nine games just because they don't really play anybody this year and so it, it's very strange how they didn't end up doing divisions but i know that's another podcast for for another day and uh it's, it's weird isn't it? because you, you, mean, you, you miss five you miss five schools right that's, yeah. that's the thing about it, is you play the nine game conference schedule you miss five schools that oklahoma you were so right though about the oklahoma game at the end of the year i mean it also it's 11 o'clock game on a friday which is mm-hmm. strange number one but i've got no idea what's gonna happen to ou this year so you know you could tell me hey uh, TCU and OU are going to run this game back the next week, no matter what happens, you know, heading into the week, or right. you might tell me OU's trying to win game number six. I mean, I've got no idea where these two teams are going to be at this point in time. I feel better about TCU than I do about OU, which is a weird thing to say uh, with Oklahoma's pedigree. But yeah, um, it's a fun schedule at the end. I, mean, I think, I think it really it is. Yeah. He turns up at the end there. So, uh, all right, Steven, where can the folks find you and your work and all of its variety? Yeah, my personal Twitter is at SimcockSteven. The show is at LockedOnTCU. And LockedOnHornFrog is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts in its audio form. Steven, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure we'll be speaking very soon again. Thank you for coming on. Always good, Josh. Thank you.